Hi everyone, uh, it's great to be with you again today. Um, the Bible is a remarkably honest book. We get to see characters in it in all their failure as well as some of the inspirational faith steps that they take, sometimes hugely costly in their obedience as they follow what God's called them to do. We've been looking at some characters in the Bible uh, for whom that's true through this series. So we've looked at um, Esther, we've looked at Joseph, we've looked at Moses, and today we're going to look at Daniel, another character from the Old Testament, and especially we're going to look at his three friends who were with him in Babylon. I would describe their story as being from favour to fire. That's what we're going to look at today. And this morning's message is also going to serve as an introduction to our next series, which is going to be called Faith in the Fire. We're going to, in that series, try and help us to have a mature view and way of handling difficulty that comes our way, how to be obedient to God and keep following him in the midst of trouble and strife that inevitably comes our way in this world. At the end of this morning, there's going to be an opportunity for prayer. We're going to have some one-to-one -one prayer available for you to engage in. That will come up on the screen a little bit later. You can click on there and find your way through to uh, some prayer. If you're finding at the moment that you would like some support in prayer. <clears throat> for 10 years throughout my 30s, I lived in Lewis in East Sussex. I was serving in a church there. And... Um, in the 16th century, under Queen Mary's reign, 17 Protestants were martyred in that town of Lewis for their faith. The first of those 17 was a guy called Derek Carver. He was actually from Brighton, but on coming into Lewis that day when he was going to be martyred, the people called out, asking God to strengthen him. Carver thanked them as he came in, and he asked that God would strengthen the people too. Then he was led out to a large barrel which was surrounded by wood which eventually would be lit in which he would be burnt. Then the, his Bible was thrown into the barrel first and then he was uh, put in it too. The fire was lit and Carver's voice rang out with these words. He said, dear brethren and sisters, witness to you all that I am come to seal with my blood Christ's gospel, because I know it is true. Very soon afterwards, he was dead, having been burned alive in agony for his faith. I suggest that it's almost impossible to imagine quite what it would be like to be faced with that choice. Personally, I'd like to think that I would stand up for Jesus, whatever is going on and whatever consequences there may be, but I think that, I hope that, it's difficult to actually imagine what it must be to face that kind of a scenario. Well, such a choice is faced regularly by Christians around the world today, in fact. And as we'll see, it was a choice faced by four of God's people many centuries ago in Babylon. Four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and a guy called Azariah better known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, had been captured. The Babylonians had invaded Israel. 
And uh, they'd captured the place, ransacked the place, and they'd taken back off to Babylon all the nobility and the royal family, all the important people, including those four, Daniel and his three friends. And in Babylon, they were chosen uh, to go into training to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were chosen because we're told this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. They were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They were obviously in a foreign land, taken away from their homeland, but they were highly favoured. They'd been chosen to serve in the royal palace, serve the king. And then what happens in the book of Daniel, what follows, is a series of dramatic situations in which Daniel and his friends are ordered by the Babylonians to bow down to, to worship, to pray someone other than God. And each time in those situations, like Derek Carver in Lewis, they have a huge decision to make with huge consequences for each of them. Would they stand up and be faithful to the call of God on their lives? And in the book of Daniel, each time they are faithful to God and each time he delivers them from their predicament, including in Daniel chapter six, Daniel in the lion's den, as famously known. Well, back in chapter three, here's the scenario we're going to look at today. Back in Daniel chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar has made a huge, massive golden image, and he summoned all the important people to appear before it and bow down. Here's the command that everyone is given. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, Daniel doesn't appear in this particular part of the story, but his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, refuse to bow down courageously. So once again, the order is given. You must bow down or the consequences are that you will die. Here's their response to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what they say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, the king is deeply offended and angered. Remember, this is no democracy we're dealing with here. You have to do what the king says, otherwise you will lose your life. So he orders the furnace to be heated a whole lot hotter. The three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are tied together and thrown into the furnace. Presumably that's the end of the story. But after a while, Nebuchadnezzar, looking into the furnace, sees that there are four people in the fire. And he says, I thought we threw three in there. 
He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Well, God has delivered them, miraculously. He's not delivered them from the fire, but he's delivered them in the fire. And I'd like us to note two things. The first of which is about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's faith. And the second is about their experience in the fire. So firstly, their faith. I wonder what you make of their statement to the king when they say, God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we're not bowing down. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. I believe their words express the utmost confidence and trust and faith in God. What those words that they spoke are not is a kind of wishy-washy resignation to fate. Well, if he saves us, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. There's nothing we can do about it. We'll just have to wait and see. K Sarah Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. That wouldn't be faith. That would just be fatalism. But nor is their faith, very interestingly, nor is their faith, as expressed in their words to Nebuchadnezzar, nor is it a demand of God that assumes that God will ensure they avoid the fire if only they trust God enough and have enough faith and pray hard enough. That kind of simplistic version of faith sees faith as a, a kind of guarantee of pleasant outcomes. God loves you, and if you have faith in him, he'll reward you with a happy outcome. Trust God and he'll keep you from the fire. But that's, that's not the faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Nor is it, to be honest, faith that's portrayed to us throughout the Old Testament or in the New Testament or in the life of Jesus or throughout the centuries of church history. Rather, their faith in God is so complete that they take their stand for God and leave the rest to God. No doubt, having prayed and made their requests known to him, but such is their trust in him that he will do right, that they are able to stand for him and then leave the outcome to him. Nebuchadnezzar, honouring God, being faithful to him, comes first. After that, we trust ourselves to Almighty God to do as he sees fit. It's very interesting. You see, we often equate great faith with believing that God has told us what the outcome will be and then us pursuing that. And that often does happen. When we, my family moved from Lewis to Torquay, we were absolutely convinced that God was calling us to make that move. It wasn't just a shot in the dark. It wasn't just the next thing to do. We were absolutely convinced that God had called us to do that. We knew what the outcome was. We were confident in God about that. And so we pursued that outcome. But here in Daniel 3, faith is not knowing the outcome. Similar to Abraham, who was called to go, not knowing where he was going yet. And yet this not knowing the outcome is able to rest in the sovereign goodness of God. 
It's not just taking a punt. It's knowing God is good and faithful and will do right in every circumstance. He is a good sovereign. I wonder, are you at the moment in what's happening in your life? Are you able to rest there? Are you able to rest not knowing all the outcomes, not having guarantees even of a pleasant outcome, but able to rest? God is sovereign and good. I know that. When our oldest son, Sam, just before his eighth birthday, I was sitting down with him and he he wanted to know what we were going to get him for his birthday. And uh, he he couldn't rest until he knew. And I wasn't obviously going to tell him. But my response to him was this. You need to trust me and mum. You know us. Trust us that we who you know love you will make the right decision. Rest in that. And I think he was probably just about able to do that. Sometimes, as here in Daniel chapter 3, great faith consists in not knowing the outcome, but being able to rest in knowing the goodness of the one who is in control. Jackie, my wife, is going to spend a couple of minutes now just telling a story from her experience of how she was able to trust the goodness of God, yet not knowing the outcome. Back in 2012, I was the main witness in what ended up being three court trials over a period of about two years. I found it, well, really an incredibly intense and emotional time. It was definitely a season of life where I felt that I was walking through a never-ending fire. The press, they were at the court doors. It was on the news, on the radio, it was in the papers, and it was on the internet. The cross-examinations, which were from the defence lawyers, they were absolutely gruelling, with every intention to discredit me as a credible witness. Even though it, it took its toll on me over the two years, It was very costly too, and the consequences, they rippled out to my friends and my family. I did know for absolute certainty that this was something that God had positioned me to do. God's daily presence was actually the most powerful and intimate I have ever known. His strength, his comfort, his peace, they were incredibly tangible. One particular verse... It was, an, it was a lifeline to me. It's in Isaiah 54, it's verse 17, and it says, No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Eventually, after the final trial, uh, justice did prevail. It had, though, been a really tough and testing time. The most important thing to me was to be obedient to God. He had remained faithful and he literally was with me through it all. That's a great story of the goodness and faithfulness of God in an uncertain situation. So we've looked at the faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I'd like to spend a couple of minutes now looking at their experience in the fire. You see, 
for all, what's interesting about the story is that for all their trust in God, all their faithfulness, all their love for God, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego still end up in the fire. Faith, even great faith, doesn't guarantee we will escape trouble. That's true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament, it's true in Jesus' life, it's true throughout church history. Now, obviously, we'd all like to avoid the fire, the trouble, the suffering, the strife. That's often what we spend our time praying about, isn't it? Especially for ourselves, that God will help us avoid difficulty and trouble. But the point about the faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is that they were going to trust God whatever outcome he gave or he allowed. They were so resolved to obey God that whatever idol had been set up in opposition to God, they would refuse to bow down to it, ever. There was no way any other so-called God was going to gain their allegiance, even if it meant fire for them. So they faced the fire. Their obedience to God meant fire was coming their way. I wonder what that means for you. I wonder what fire is for you. Maybe you've prayed something like this, God, I've asked you to keep me from the fire, from this situation, but I seem to be in it right now. Maybe that fire is illness. Maybe that fire is loss or disappointment. Maybe that fire is a life situation you would just not have chosen for yourself. Maybe it's perpetual anxiety or temptation, or this coronavirus that we are enduring. God, I've prayed, I've trusted, I've tried to have faith, but I'm still in it. Well, as we've said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's faith in God didn't mean they escaped the fire, but they weren't abandoned in the fire. See, tough things happening to God's people does not for a moment mean that he has abandoned them. In fact, I think it would be true from speaking to many people over many years that often the most precious experience of God's presence has been in the trouble. Often the reality of God's presence in the lives of his people is proved in the fire, in the tough stuff, as it is here for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So no doubt in this back to the story, no doubt, confused, shocked, outraged, Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. There was someone else in the fire with these three men. Who the fourth one is, is a matter for much speculation and debate. Some say it was an angel, some say it was a it was the pre-incarnate Christ, perhaps uh, alternatively just a representation of the presence of God. But the point is this, whichever is the right answer, God is with them in this fire. He has not abandoned them, even though they're in it. So while we're not promised avoidance of the fire, we are promised God's presence in the fire. That's true for you in your fire. 
in your anxiety, in your temptation, in your disappointment and loss in this coronavirus situation too. Some famous words from Isaiah chapter 43 say this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Not when you avoid the waters, but when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Jesus said that in this world, we will have trouble. It's perhaps not his most encouraging words to us. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We are able to press through with him. That is the privilege of God's children. Jesus is known as Emmanuel, God with us. When he ascended back to heaven, he said, I will leave you another comforter, just like me, he said, who will be with you. He said at the end of Matthew's gospel, it's recorded that Jesus said, surely I will be with you to the end of the age, meaning that his spirit would be with us forever. That's the experience of Christians down through the ages. That sure, God blesses us with all manner of things for us to enjoy. But even in the tough stuff, we know the blessing of his presence as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. And God being with us in the fire is actually how we often experience God's sufficiency that he is enough for us, whatever comes our way. And that whatever might be thrown at us, from whatever angle, Jesus still is enough for us in those situations, however hot the fire becomes. Sure, God does deliver us from the fire, showing us one experience of him and of his power for us. But his presence in the fire shows us another experience of him, of his power in us, deeply enabling us to stand when all around is pressing on us and when the cost of obedience to him is great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of your presence. We thank you that you have said you will never leave us or forsake us. Now, Father, grow our faith in you, that we can stand and trust you and say we will bow down to nothing else but you. To stand and say we know God is good and we trust him with the outcome, knowing that you will be with us in the middle of the fire as well. We thank you, you're such a good God. We thank you, you're always with us, even now. Amen.